Damn it. I never remember to count us down with the movie title. Oh, yeah. You should have said. Die Hard. Three. 4.0. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Harder. It's not called Die Hard 4.0. It's called Live Free or Die Hard, isn't it? Or is that a 5? In my country, it's called Die Hard 4.0. Really? Yes, because Live Free or Die Hard does not mean anything outside of the U.S. Actually, I think it means something more in the U.K., which is that they found out the hard way what it means to live free and die hard. It's easier when I don't look at you. Uh, welcome to the 24th episode of Partial Recall. Um, I'm Daniel. I remember how to do the opening of this show. And I'm here with my friend Yishai, uh, the other host, who also hopefully remembers <laughs> what he's supposed to do. <laughs> I do remember what I'm supposed to do. Uh, Yishai, why don't you tell people what this podcast is about? <laughs> like you said... I'm Daniel, who remembers what to do, and I'm here with Ishai, the other host. Those are two separate things. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, this podcast uh, is about movies that we've seen as kids that we only sort of remember. Uh, and so what we do is we uh, try to recreate the plot from memory in the first half of the episode, uh, and then we break, uh, watch the movie, and then we reconvene to talk about what we got right, what we got wrong, and if the movie held up. Uh, and as we've been going along... Uh, and now, as we've officially just uh, worked this out in a more uh, official capacity, we are deciding which of these movies are going to enter the official canon. I guess we can call it the partial recall canon of uh, what movies we're going to show to uh, our kids. Should we call it the partial recanon? Yeah, that's better. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, which of these movies we think are important to share with our kids that should be an important part of their movie watching experience as kids. That's the podcast. Nice. And what movie are we talking about today? Uh, today we're talking about Die Hard 2. Um, <laughs> I feel like I remember we were going to talk about this movie once before. <laughs> yeah. Previously, uh, Die Hard 2, as I went on at length about in our Star Wars episode one episode, uh, is a movie that like I watched a lot as a kid at, at one of my friends' house. And I just remember really liking it. And I really wanted to do it on this podcast. And uh, I decided... During Star Wars Episode One, I would connect. One other thing we do on this podcast is we connect uh, some element of the previous movie to the next movie. And so I was like, ah, Samuel L. Jackson, Die Hard 2. Daniel and, I, Daniel and I got on a recording to start recording Die Hard 2. Uh, and then we're looking at the cast and realized that uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in Die Hard 3. Uh, so we could not do the episode. We had to abort. We had to come up with a whole new plan on the fly, which turned out to be Pirates of the Caribbean, which turned out to be the third best movie we've done so far. So, um, you know. That's what we went to and said. Right, we went off of... We went off How did we get of... to Pirates? Hmm. Are you sure that's what we did instead? I'm almost positive that's what we did instead. Um... Jonathan, whatever his name is, was he in Star Wars? Like the no. the dad? Oh, Kira Knightley. Duh. Oh, right. Kira Knightley, yes. Who plays the Queen's handmaiden and mostly the Queen. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. 
so anyway, <laughs> when I got a yeah. chance to go back to Die Hard 2 for real um, via Bruce Willis, take via the fifth element, uh, I had to take it. So here we are to talk about Die Hard 2. So you definitely have a strong connection to this movie. Yeah, I do have a strong connection to this movie. Uh, truly, like, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a big part of my childhood. I'm excited for 10 minutes from now, or even less, when I try to recreate the plot memory because I think it's going to be one of those things where I don't remember it a lot now, but maybe the more I talk about it, the more I'll get rolling and pieces will start coming back to me. So I'm excited about that. Uh, you don't have a strong connection to this movie. No, I don't. But give us the basic yeah, facts. Yeah, let's do some facts. Yeah. And then we'll talk about when we saw it, how we saw it, and then try to remember it. Okay, so this movie uh, was directed by Rennie Harlan, who I looked up because I wanted to see, like, who Rennie Harlan was. Before I tell you what other movies he's done, I was on his Wikipedia page and I discovered this fact, which I think is crazy. Uh, Unproduced and Upcoming Films is the name of the Wikipedia entry. In 1999, Harlan began developing an action comedy called Nosebleed with New Line Cinema, starring Jackie Chan as a window washer who foils a terrorist attack to destroy the World Trade Center. The film was delayed after changing studios to MGM in May 2001. After the September 11 attacks, the plot was drastically rewritten, ultimately before being completely shelved. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, I had no idea. Do you think it would have worked? Pre-9-11 or post-9-11? No, I'm saying, do you think Jackie Chan could have prevented 9-11 if he had been a window washer on the Twin Tower? What if the movie... This is only this is mostly a joke, but also maybe not Sorry. a joke. I don't know if I'm even allowed to make that joke. But what about this? What if the movie came out in, like, 2000? Do you think, like, Al-Qaeda would have, It wouldn't like, exist. That would be an actual movie that doesn't exist. What if it came out and it was like, oh, these terrorists are planning to... To attack the World Trade Center. Do you think Al-Qaeda would have changed their plan based on the movie? <laughs> That's a real what if. That's a real, that is a real, yeah. real what if. Um, uh, but I have to assume it's based on the original bombing of the World Trade Center. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, what was that movie called? I'm looking it up now. Uh, Nosebleed? There's more I didn't read. Chan later told Oriental Daily News that the film was scheduled to begin filming at the North Tower less than two hours before it was hit by American Airlines Flight 11, and that he only escaped the attack because he made a last-minute decision to travel to Toronto to begin filming the tuxedo instead. I told you the tuxedo was an important movie. <laughs> what I'm going to say here is 9-11 did two terrible things. <laughs> it destroyed the World Trade Center, and it basically led to the tuxedo. <laughs> And I don't want to just make light of a real tragedy, but the tuxedo is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, okay. And I'm still not going to forgive you for not for making me watch it. That is a crazy story. I have really never heard that story before. That that is like that's like serious film lore ish. It should yeah, but be. There's a bunch of those, right? Because no, because the most famous one of those is the Spider Man, the poster for Spider Man. Right. Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2. Yeah, but a poster featuring the Twin Towers is not the same as... It was the poster featuring Spider-Man making a web yes. between the Twin Towers yeah. to catch a helicopter. And I think it was in the trailer, or at least in everyone's mind it was in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it was Spider-Man. It was a movie that came out and people liked. And you're talking about, like, a movie... Well, I'm not talking about the tuxedo. I'm talking about the fact that apparently I he was going to start filming like, two, that morning. On the Twin Towers. That seems like that seems, that seems like Mark Wahlberg being yes. like, if I was on that flight, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, that can't be true. I mean, at least Jackie Chan isn't saying that. But All due respect to Jackie Chan, that can't be true. 
That's the, you know what that's like? That's like the guy uh, from the league who, the actor who said that he worked in the World Trade Center and like escaped. And then like it turned out he made that story up completely. Yeah. So, however, Chan, Chan's claim has been criticized as improbable since the production was delayed after the change in studios. Yeah. And since he was contracted for the production of the tuxedo in Toronto months before the attack. Right. Maybe he was just planning to do some like independent research by climbing outside the World Trade Center and washing some windows that morning. He's like, I could probably do a better French accent than Joseph Gordon-Levin will do in The Walk in like five years. <laughs> yes. So maybe I could be the tightrope walker, <laughs> Philippe Petit. That's like his name. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a long walk. This is not been, usually how the very, goes. very different thing. Okay, Rennie Harlan, Rennie Harlan directed it. Bruce Willis is in it. Yes, it was a screenplay by Stephen E. D'Souza and Doug Richardson. It's based on a book. Oh, Stephen D'Souza. Which I never knew. Fantastic screenwriter. Is he? It's based on a book? Yeah. What was the book called? 58 Minutes. Uh, I can't believe it. Is this one of those things where they were like, we need a Die Hard sequel, and then they're like, someone's like, I have this script that's based on a book, and they're like, cool, the main character is now John McClane. It's an 87 thriller novel, and Die Hard 1 came out in 88. So, in its defense, no, that's not what happened. It was a real book. Um, no, but I'm saying, was Die Hard based on a book? I just imagine. Why would there be a Die Hard? Where, why would there be a book? No, so... Oh, maybe so just like the, the, the mechanics is, of the story. They needed like a good plot to put John McClane. Is that what you just said? That's what I, that's exactly what I'm okay, saying. Yeah. So they're just like, oh, we have this book that we're optioning, and oh, this would fit if we put. Yeah. We can maybe figure this out in the research. Yeah. Okay. Fair uh, enough. Uh, that's probably what happened. Samuel Jackson, uh, not in this movie. No, but Bruce Willis is. Who else is in it? Uh, Bonnie Bedelia. The dad from Family Matters. Yes, the dad from which is named who is named Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, William Atherton, his name. Franco Nero, William Sadler. Uh, who okay, now you're just saying William words. Sadler is the guy who plays Death in. Um, uh, Bill and Ted. Uh, he was also on the show Roswell. Uh, John Amos, who was not John Stamos. Um, that's the list of actors I see. Uh, it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Wait, who's the... Okay, well, we'll get to this when we get to Recollections, but who's the villain? <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember the villain. Okay, we'll get to it. Uh, uh, released on July 4th, 1990. So a real, uh, you know, love letter to the good old uh, U.S. of A., a running time of 124 minutes, uh, a budget of 62 to 70 million dollars, and a box office of 240. That's it. Those are the facts. Cool. Big hit. Big hit. Cool movie. Spawned. When did you see it? I didn't see it in theaters, but I think I've said this in the previous podcast, and I was really excited about uh, <laughs> talking about this movie. A friend of mine. Uh, I used to go to his house a lot. He was the guy I went to play uh, the Ninja Turtles. Really, define friend. In this scenario, no, or to explain continue. to you what a childhood uh, friend is? Yeah, what is a childhood friend? <laughs> um, uh, what is that? This is the guy... Computer, what is dancing? <laughs> uh, uh, this is the guy that I uh, I used to go play the Ninja Turtles video game at, that I talked about in the Ninja Turtles episode. And uh, yep. he had this on VHS. I think either he kept renting it or... Um, or he owned it. And it was one of those movies where, like, I guess, like his father made the decision, like, this is a clean movie and that it's only uh, extremely violent and has a lot of cursing but doesn't have uh, in sexual innuendo or circumstances or anything else. Um, and so we watched it a lot. Um, and so I remember watching like in his living room a lot and then like that filtered through to like, oh, I love this movie and like when it was like on TV, you know, like edited version, I would like always watch it. Um, 
you know, as, as, as that. So not in theaters, but a big part of like my childhood watching. What about you? I have no idea when I saw this movie. Did you, have you um, seen this movie? It, so here's the thing. I know, I, obviously there's like a fourth Die Hard movie and maybe there's even a fifth one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, You've seen the third one for sure. And those came out much later. I know I've seen the third one because the third one is the one where Samuel L. Jackson's a cab driver. Um, and I know I've seen the first one because um, that's the one that takes place in the building where he's like crawling through the vents. Yeah. And I'm like trying to remember. I'm like pretty sure I've seen this one. And I like vaguely remember that there's a plane. Yeah. Uh, the first one. But that's about all I remember about this movie. Does the first one and take so place at an airport? I have no idea. No, the first one takes place in an office building. Right. It's in Nakatomi Tower. So you don't remember seeing a Die Hard in an airport? And, uh, I'm asking. I'm just saying. It, it, this one might be in an airport. This one like, is it? No. This is, I just know that there's an airplane okay. in my. In this is my. definitively in the airport. Uh, okay. okay. Here's. So yeah, I barely remember this movie, obviously, but I'm I'm like ninety percent sure I saw it probably at like a birthday. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me let me start or on television. Let me start trying to reconstruct the plot. Uh, Wait, should I do everything that I remember? Uh, yeah. Bruce Willis is in it. Reginald Vell Johnson is in it. Urkel is not in it, and. There's an airplane. Cool. That's what I remember. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so, despite the fact that it comes out on July 4th, I believe this is a Christmas movie. I believe John McClane is trying to fly somewhere for Christmas. Aren't they all Christmas movies? Maybe. Because the first one's also Christmassy, uh, I believe. All right. I don't think the later ones are, but maybe. Maybe. Okay. John McClane is in the airport trying to fly somewhere. Uh, for Christmas with his wife, ex-wife. At some point, they get divorced. I feel like it's the ex-wife. He's got real divorced guy energy yeah. in this era. <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, plus, he's like incredibly reckless and uh, puts everyone he knows and loves in danger all the time. So, you know, a tough guy to live with. So, he's in the airport. I don't know the circumstances. I believe there is some kind of prisoner being transported via plane and some sort of terrorist or military like bad military forces who want to get him and they take over the airport in order to like Are you thinking of con air <laughs> it's similar ish ish so anyway it takes place in an airport there's like a swat like a military team they so the airport goes comes under like you know terrorist rule uh everyone clears mm-hmm. out red oh you're thinking of the terminal Yes. Tom yes. Hanks. Yeah. That takes place in an airport. Um, John McLean. So Reginald Bell Johnson, the dad from uh, Family Matters, is like the. Yes, that's why. That's why I pointed out that Urkel's not in the movie. Right. Uh, you said he. It was weird. I kept wondering he was going to show up and just be like, "Did I do that?" <laughs> like something blows up. <laughs> um, Reginald Bell Johnson is one of the. <laughs> just imagine if Julio White literally just followed Reginald Bell Johnson around. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? In character as Urkel. <laughs> it would be good. The movie probably... Actually, I was in the movie probably needs comic Go relief. Home, Steve. But I think, I think John McClane is pretty, is pretty witty. Um, okay, so... Huh, God, I'm not... So, Reginald Will Johnson is like an airplane security guy, and John McClane is in the airport, and they end up like kind of teaming up to like foil this plot. And what happens is 
the team that is sent in to like foil the plot, like the the soldiers of fortune or like the SWAT team or whatever, mm-hmm. um, are the bad guys. Okay, Ooh. they have this tape. This this talk about like this is a great partial recall because I remember such specific. Does details. one of them wind a cable around his <laughs> arm? <laughs> No, but they're on their machine guns. There are like you know you put like magazines into them, and the ones that have like green tape, John realizes are uh, blanks. So it looks like they're firing against the bad guys, but they're blanks. It's like a kind of like a staged kind of fighting. John realizes that they're the bad guys, and like foils their plot, and like. So there's another connection to 9-11 because this is also a false flag operation by the U.S. government. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. Um, Uh, Hold on. I'm just going to be really clear. You can argue with that. The logic is anti. Uh, we we don't believe that. No, correct. We don't believe that. Uh, okay, good. Um, Sometimes it's important to say these things. I know. Uh, that's true. Um, which is sad. Which I know. Also, that's also true. Um, so John McClane realizes that like it's an inside job, like nine eleven. <laughs> and um, George Bush did Die Hard too. Sorry. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and he foils it, man. I don't know. Like, there's basically... There, the only other thing I really remember is, like, the plane is, like, trying to take off, and John McClane goes out in the runway with, like, fire sticks and is, like, don't take off and, like, collapses onto his back, like, after the plane is, like, grounded. Isn't that a shot from... Or, like, the literal ending of The Rock? I mean, maybe I'm getting confused, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens. That's... Nicholas Cage lights the green smoke to tell the fighter pilots not to fly, and he's... Going like this, and they're going to bomb him, and they see the green smoke, and they don't do the bombs, and he collapses on the ground. But these are actual, like, sticks on fire, not green smoke, like, real fire. And at that point, John McClane is, like, bloodied. He's been crawling through vents, as he does. He's been fighting off a bunch of bad guys. And he's, like, he collapses, and, like, all, like, the ambulances and police, real SWAT team show up, and, like, he saves the day and, like, goes home for Christmas with his wife or ex-wife. I wish I remembered the exact details of what actually happens, but but that's my those are my recollections of this movie. Okay. I have two questions and then we should look at the poster. Yeah. And it might actually only be one question. Question number one. Does Steven Seagal get sucked out of a tube in this movie? Like you think he's uncredited this time? Yeah. Does that only happen in executive, in executive decision? decision? Unfortunately. That would be a great... Okay. That sounds like a hallmark of, like, early 90s action cinema. <laughs> Steve Seagal just got sucked out of a plane every time. Second question. Is John Leguizamo on the team? No. No. So another executive decision connection missed. Only this time, uh, Reginald Bell Johnson is on the team. Who He plays a cop in Family Matters also. Do you think it's, like, character continuity here? I think he just had the mustache. He does play a cop in Family Matters, right? Am I right about that? think about i think yeah, so. i think so yeah yeah uh, chief wiggum was his name i mean it obviously i salute his service <laughs> uh, okay let's look at the poster 
<laughs> okay. Uh, God, originalfilmart.co.uk. Definitely not the best place to find a poster, but whatever. Hey, this is actually a good poster. You got a big picture of Bruce Willis's face. Yeah. Beads of sweat. It's crystal clear. I found a nice high-res image. That's true. It says, Die Harder. Great tagline. I think that's actually the uh, subtitle um, of the movie. And... I'm pretty, it's called Die Hard 2, Die Hard. I believe so. Uh, and then it says Die Hard 2. And there is an airplane, which I remembered, flying into an airport that appears to be on fire. Yeah, because John McClane. John McClane is not dissimilar to um, Anything. Chris Tucker in <laughs> Rush Hour. He loves blowing stuff up uh, and getting yelled at by the police chief about it. Does the airport blow up? No, because there's tons of people in the airport. And they wouldn't do that. I think, like, the runway blows up. Okay. Um, it does say based on the novel 58 Minutes. Does it? Um, does 58 Minutes tell us anything? Yeah, it says it all the way at the bottom. Oh, um, yeah. Right. Uh, so, so here's the note. Okay, sorry. I'm looking this up now because this is interesting to me. Um, Die Hard 1 is based on a different novel by a different author. Okay, so basically... There's it's based on the 1979 novel called Nothing Lasts Forever. Not by Walter Wagner. Um, which is not by a different author, by an author, Roderick Thorpe. Okay, so you were right. So they're literally just both based on books. I think that makes sense. But as far as I can tell, the books are not related. I actually like that as an approach, right? It's like you come up with a concept, John McClane's Super Cop, right? And then you find novels that like have a Super Cop foiling improbable scenarios. That's cool. I'm into that. Right. It's just like, I can also imagine it being really annoying if you like wrote a script and you're like, this script is so awesome. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, John McClane's in it now. Uh, change it to be a Die Hard movie. Yeah. Uh, That's fair. I could see that being slightly annoying. That's fair. Nothing. Uh, okay. So we're not getting anything else out of the poster. No. We already knew it was at an airport and we suspected that there would be explosions. Yeah. Um, he's wearing a sweater that uh, backs up. Look at the VHS box. Yeah. I will say he's wearing a sweater, which Max backs up my Christmas uh, thing because. If it was July 4th, he'd be wearing a tank top. He does eventually wear a tank top in this movie, though, to be clear. I, I, I'm like 90% sure that they're both Christmas movies. Okay. Yeah, let's do the VHS. Uh, okay, here we go. Now we're looking at the VHS box. So the front of the VHS box is the same as the poster, yeah. except it says Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2, Die Harder mm -hmm. at the top. The colors are a little less saturated. Bruce Willis's beard makes it more obvious that he's divorced. Because it's just like a little heavier looking in this image. Uh, and Joel Siegel says, it's the best of the blockbusters. What? What is so That's the front of the box. What does that mean? What blockbusters? Uh, of, of all of the blockbusters, it's number one. Okay. I mean, it's just math. Okay, here you go. You're going to like this. Here's what it says on the back of the box. We see John McClane in a tube. Yeah. That's a like maybe Steven Seagal just got sucked out of it. Yeah. Um, he's he likes to wriggle. Look how dirty he is. He he wriggles. Right, he's rocks. a wriggler. Yeah. That's true. Uh, so it's on a snowy Christmas Eve in the nation's capital. A team of terrorists has seized a major international airport and now holds thousands of holiday travelers hostage. So you're right. It's Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I was right. The, the terrorists, terrorists seized the airport. Oh, yep. Yeah. A renegade band of crack military commandos led by murderous rogue officer William Sadler. It's <laughs> funny. It's funny to read that as if it's one sentence, yeah. like not in parentheses. Like William Sadler is the officer. Yeah. Uh, have come to rescue. Yeah, 
Uh, okay. The terrorists, a renegade band of crack military commanders led by a murderous rogue officer, have come to rescue a drug lord from justice. They've prepared for every contingency except one. John McClain, an off-duty cop, seized by a feeling of deadly deja vu. Bruce Willis returns as the heroic cop who battles not only terrorists, but also an incompetent airport police officer, Dennis Frost. I forgot about that. The hard-headed commander, John Amos, of the Army's anti-terrorist squad, and a deadly winter snowstorm. The runaways, the runways are littered with death and destruction, and McLean is in a race against time. His wife, mm. Bonnie Bedelia, is trapped on one of the planes, circling somewhere overhead, desperately low on fuel. Uh-huh. It's all-out war, a heart-stopping jet-propelled journey through excitement and terror. Fasten your seatbelts. Ready? Here's my prediction. Her plane has 58 minutes of fuel Mm. at one point in this movie. I don't... I would say maybe in the book, but I don't think that actually becomes like a... You think they actually like carried through the 58 minutes to the movie? You got to keep that so that when Walter Wager goes to the theater, he says, one ticket, please. And he's sitting there and someone says, there's 58 minutes left. He can like throw up his hands and be like, I did it. I'm <laughs> in the movie. Fair. They said the name. That's fair. Okay. Uh, so you got to give him that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I remember this, this snowstorm. I, I should have mentioned that. But I basically got the shape of this movie right, right? Like, mm-hmm. terrorists take over an airport to re- rescue a drug lord from, you know, flying in or whatever, right? And then John McClane is in the airport waiting for his wife. I, I knew he was there for some reason. Um, and then later it says, the hard-headed commander of the Army's anti-terror squad. That Those are the people who I believe are in on it. Not to spoil the movie. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I got the broad, you know... Why do they want to free this guy? I don't know. Money? Drug lords have money, right? They're rogue commandos. But why just this guy? Why not just a ransom then? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, Your camera Uh, or your seating or... Yeah, there you go. It's pointing at my belly. (laughs) You were so embarrassed with that eye contact earlier. You just uh, tilted it down. Um, yeah, well, no, I was because I was looking at the box and I tried to get my screen out of the way. Okay, so I feel pretty good uh, despite me struggling through that. That I, I did kind of get it right. Did anything come to you uh, from that? Nope, nothing at all. Do you remember any cool action bits from this movie? No, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I could be like. It's so funny. We both just like. We're just like. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I wish I did. I mean, like, I I believe there's like because it's a snowstorm. There's like um, what are those called? Snowmobiles. Snowmobiles, and and machine guns on snowmobiles. I let I, I think that happens, and hopefully that'll be in the trailer, so I'll be quickly vindicated. Okay, well then let's watch the trailer. Yeah. and see what there is. Yeah, it's called a segue, bub. That looks awesome. It looks really good. Okay. I was right about the snowmobiles. Uh, you remember the snowmobiles? Yeah. Yep. And did you, I, I also think I briefly saw the tape around the magazine. Yep, it that. looked blue. blue. I know. I know. But still. Uh, so you were wrong, <laughs> Denny. Um, uh, I will say. They said your wife's plane is going to fall at 90 I minutes. I noticed that also. Very annoying. Could have just made it 58 minutes. Yep. Would have been perfect. I mean, maybe it comes up later. Maybe they don't want to spoil it in the trailer. At some point in this movie, they are going to say 58 minutes. Yeah. Um, um, no, it, it looks... Okay. 
it looks really good. I don't mean to be a downer. It is a bummer when real terrorism is happening to get excited. Like it, I wish all terrorism was in movies and not in real life. And that is uh, frustrating to square. But as a movie, this movie looks very fun. Again, I like it when it's confined to fantasy and movies. Let's keep it there, please. Uh, and forever. Um, but yeah, I am excited to watch this movie. Um, again, yeah, for what it is. I don't have anything to do. No, I, don't I, have like I, a, I, I, I was like, I was like, that's a very nice, serious thought. Uh, y- y- yes, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Uh, we, this, this is, we, we don't want to circle the drain like Correct. canceled Mrs. Doubtfire episode. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> we no, no, no. Needed to get it in and out. I will just say, as my, uh, yeah, my heart and thoughts agreed. are heavy, that is a thing that, Unfortunately, I watch a trailer. I'm like, ah, oh, see, this this should be where these things uh, exist in only. Um, but as a movie, uh, I'm looks great. it looks great. It looks really fun. It looks great. Uh, I'm very excited about it. And again, it was going back to the partial recall of it all. I it was one of those first halves where bits and pieces started coming back that I flagged ahead of discovering oh. them. That's fun. That's always when this podcast really. Uh, Sings. Um, so, uh, what do you think you're going to give it on rewatch? So now that we like really like uh, reset the bar, it's not Jurassic Park, right? But I think it is Speed. So I'm going to give it a nine. I'll go nine. Also, I'm very excited after watching the trailer. I think I'm going to give it a nine. Uh, I like in the trailer how clearly there's like all these levels of stress in the situation. Yeah. And I, that's like a thing that I like from that era of like action thrillers. Yes, that they keep stacking like, things keeps up. Building and building and building and building the tension. And it's like, and also everyone else on the plane is like a nun and is the greatest <laughs> person alive. And your family's on there. It's like in speed. And your mom is on the runway for some reason. Yeah, like, it's, like in speed when they like almost run, like they hit that uh, uh, baby carriage. Yeah. yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. I like that. I mean, I don't like uh, that, but that's yeah, a good idea. Uh, <laughs> to be clear, enough serious talk. We like it when baby carriages get hit by buses. On personal, uh, we endorse that for mayor of your town. Um, no, it okay. it it looks. I don't. I didn't remember the uh, uh, him getting in a helicopter and jumping onto a plane wing. Um, that that was new to me. Uh, so I often I feel like that era of movies also was very much like the new Mission Impossible movies where they're like, what are the like five stunts we want yeah. to do? But even like that, they also use the environment. Like there's the there's the sequence where he's waiting. There's like a gun on the moving walkway. Yeah, that's coming. Towards oh, yeah, and he has to grab it. And like someone's like, oh yeah, they have moving walkways at yes. airports. What could happen with a moving walkway? Totally. Like, what if the gun was on it? Someone like. Definitely said, what if the gun was on the moving walkway and then did another line of cocaine and then wrote the next line of the movie? Yeah. Uh, yes. That definitely happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, uh, I will, I mean, I'll touch on it very briefly now, and I think we'll talk about it much more in the second half, but, like, it's pretty tragic uh, what's happening to Bruce Willis. Um, and, like, when you see, it, to be clear, he... Uh, has dementia and apparently is like nonverbal at this point, um, which is a very quick uh, onset of dementia. Um, and then when you see like these performances, like he was really witty and sharp and like a great action star. 
Um, and so again, I think we'll, we'll probably, um, touch on that more after like watching the full performance, but worth noting, I don't think we talked about that in, um, the fifth element, but another bummer, but, uh, he was so good. I, I think he, he was like awesome. Well, he was just like perfect in these yeah. roles. Yeah, he was, he was great. Uh, what do you sort of his thing? What do you, what's your, uh, Bruce Willis preference, uh, Bald Bruce Willis or hair Bruce Willis? Uh, I think bald Bruce Willis. Yeah. Gives me hope. I mean, you know, he's a very handsome man. That's true. That's true. Uh, he had the guts to shave One day I will be a handsome man, maybe. Is that how that works? Well, your dad looks good uh, with, like, a shaved head. Uh, I, it's not a shaved head. He has a bald head. I, well, I'm saying, like, he, he doesn't have, like, a... He didn't cut the hair from that. <laughs> no, but every bald person has, like, the, the, the what's it called? Horseshoe. The horseshoe. And he keeps it very yeah. close, if not, like, totally, like, off. And it looks good. He does. He has, he has, he keeps a, he keeps a very close horseshoe. Yeah. Um, and they do say that almost only counts in horseshoes. So, maybe that's something. Yeah. Um, he almost has hair. Uh, to wrap this up, okay. I'm not watching. I'm going to give it a nine. You're going to give it a nine. You're not going to watch it with any of your. Kids. No, no, it's not, not my not your older daughter's, daughter's thing. Uh, and it's I think too. Even though I probably started watching this around the age of eight, I've talked uh, previously about how me at eight and not that I was <laughs> me at eight. It's like flipping switchblades and smoking cigarettes. Uh, no, but like me at eight and my. Yisha uh, was doing something similar to the hand motion he just made. <laughs> It wasn't flipping switchblades. Uh, um, my son. Imaginative listeners can probably figure it out. I think they get it. Uh, um, no, but no, I'm not going to watch it with my kids. Uh, maybe my wife will uh, catch some of it while I have it on in bed while I'm cramming for, for the second half of the episode. Every word you're saying is like, I'm like, it's a good thing your kids aren't going to watch. You're going to be jacking it the whole time. And then you're like, hopefully my wife will catch it while I'm cramming it. To be clear, I just mentioned that I watch movies the night before we record the second half. Uh, We were talking about what we've learned over the course of a year doing the podcast. And I said I wish I had more time so I wouldn't have to like cram movies in before we do the second half of the episode that's what i was it was a reference to our previous episode um i see you're not showing this to your three-year-old daughter uh correct i will probably watch it alone uh maybe maybe megan will watch with me uh but yeah i'm super excited to watch it it does feel like a movie that will be canonical but i i also wonder if it will be canonical if like dependent on Die Hard One, right? That's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like, I don't know that I would, in choosing to show these movies to kids, be like, "Well, we'll start with Die Hard Two because that's what I like the best." Right. Even if I liked it, I would be like, "We're going to start with Die Hard One." That's fair. Um, I'd assume. Yeah, it's just again Die Hard Two, which is the fun thing about this podcast is is my movie more than Die Hard One. Right. It's the one you're connected to. I'm excited for you to tell me what you remember while you were watching it. Yeah. Like, because that happens to you where you're, like, watching a movie and you're like, oh, I remember that this happened and, like, before it happened. Like, I love that. Yeah. It's going to be great. Um, I'm excited cool. to watch it. I'm looking forward to it. That's all I got. Uh, okay.
because I assume you read the book, 58 Minutes. Both books, yes. Um, and uh, I believe that Die Hard 4 was based on a, an original screenplay called World War 4.0. That was about like cyber warfare. That was not for Die Hard. It was like someone else's screenplay. Correct. I, this is maybe not true. Interesting. Uh, yes, sorry. The film's plot is based on an earlier script. It's even better than World War 4.0. The world's fi- fi- the film's plot is based on an earlier script entitled WW3.com. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's so, like, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Yes. Uh, someone in that movie definitely says that they're going to set off the bomb.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that definitely happened. So yes, it was it was called Die Hard 4.0 here because it had the four. The, for some reason, just doing point zero implies tech. Right. But we're not here to talk about live free or die hard. The first thing we're here to talk about is our usual bullshit. Yeah. What do you have? Because uh, we are in the second half of the episode. So I, I obviously we both now have seen recent explosions in the sky concerts. Yeah. I was going to uh, ask. Great concert. I'm I, telling the concert one second. I was going to ask. The, I think the, the last episode that we published, or even in the first, no, the last episode we published was talking about me going to the concert and you going to it in a month from then. <laughs> and yep. it took us this long to record the follow-up episode. I have, now, I have now gone to the concert. Yeah. Uh, I was able to take Megan to her first Explosions in the Sky concert, which she thought was great. Uh, it was amazing. They're incredible live band. But I have to say, this is the real old man take, because you had your old man take about those people standing mm-hmm. up. Here's my old man take. Possibly the best part of the show was that Moonoff started the show by telling us it was going to be 80 minutes. <laughs> He did. Yeah, he got up there at nine o'clock and he's just like hey, you know, he's like, This is about this is gonna be eighty minutes of you know, I don't remember exactly yeah, yeah. how he described Face it. Face melting. And I was madness. like, Oh and I was literally like, Perfect. I have ninety minutes before if until which I'll be late for the babysitter. So he just told me it's eighty minutes I don't have to worry about like That's so funny. Are they gonna end on time for me to get home? Maybe he's a dad. Uh, That's great. That's very funny. Well, I you know, because I think it's related to I feel like they've spent their entire live performing career trying to figure out how to tell people at the beginning of the show that they're not going to do an right. encore without annoying people. Right. Because remember, we saw them at Terminal 5, and I think people just kept cheering for a while, and he had to come out and be like, we don't play encores. Yeah. And it was awkward, so I feel like they've constantly been refining. He's like, if I tell people it's 80 minutes, that's real. they'll know there's no encore, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> was it a seated venue? No, 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 no. We were all in the pit. Ah, it was a standing uh, venue. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I'm young. I, I'm hip. I should have shipped those uh, view blockers to the UK to go to the concert there. No, we, you should have shipped uh, some orthopedic shoes because I'm not so young oh, and really, standing for it. It is concert. really hard. It's hard on the feet. Did you Did you go, did you skip the opening band? No. I saw the opening band. They generally have bad openers. The thing that I think they've done for this tour is they're getting like local openers for every okay. show. That's cool. I think that that's what they're doing. And they, this was definitely a local band. And they were fine. Uh, and I, and this is my other old man take. I always really feel for openers. Because I'm like, this is probably the biggest show they've ever played. And I'm like a proud papa. I'm like, oh, they're doing it. <laughs> Congratulations, you made it. You should bring signs for them. You're on the big stage. Did you know that they were local uh, because they got up there and said, Cheerio, lads. Uh, I did know that they were local because of their accents. Yeah. Uh, they also did at the end of the show say, 
uh, this is the biggest show we've ever played. <laughs> and I like, I had told Megan that I feel that way. Did you? And I was like, yes, they're doing oh, it. you told her before they said that? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very uh, funny. Uh, good stuff. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. look. Okay, so that's, thematic that's my explosions bullshit. Good bullshit. I don't have any. The other thing that was funny is my daughter has now hit a new milestone, which is that she has started to like argue like a lawyer. Um, and so the other day, Megan went to pick her up. I normally pick her up uh, from nursery, but Megan went to pick her up and she had her scooter with her at nursery. And so she came back and they had had some big fight on the walk that I, I knew that they'd had a fight from the text messages I received from Megan, but I didn't know what it was about. So we get home and we're having dinner. My daughter goes, Daddy, am I only allowed to ride my scooter on the pavement? Which means sidewalk. And I said, yeah. And then she goes, see, Mommy? I am allowed to ride my scooter on the pavement. <laughs> well, where was Megan saying she should ride, if not the sidewalk? I think I think the point is Megan wasn't even allowing her to ride oh, on the sidewalk. Got it. But she tricked me into saying that she's allowed to ride on the pavement. And then, like, Lawyered. she did this, like, head cock and was like, see, mommy? That's very good. Yeah, she has a yeah. future as a, a barrister. It was it was really is impressive. That, is that what they call them there? Yeah, she's going to get one of those big wigs. Yeah. Uh, they do actually wear those. Yeah. I mean, I've never been to court, but I assume that they do. I'll tell you where we don't wear big wigs. Where we live free and hopefully don't die hard. But uh, die hard, too. You just watched it. I watched it like three weeks ago. <laughs> um, should I do the, the quick recap? Yeah. Uh, I actually, I don't know if you, re- I assume as part of your research, you re-listened to the first half to see what we got. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. Um, okay, so here's what happens in the movie. John McClane, who is not divorced. Um, not divorced. He is going to pick up his wife at the airport. He does go on to become divorced in the subsequent movies. Uh, does yeah, he? that's the plot of Die Hard 3, which mm-hmm. is what I thought we were going to be doing originally. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah. Interesting. His his marriage died hard. Yes. Um, or died soft. Uh, uh, died flaccid? Mm, that's not going anywhere. Anyway, uh, so he's going to the airport to pick up his wife, mm-hmm. uh, who is flying from somewhere to Washington, D.C. And... Why is he in D.C.? Oh, her parents okay, yeah. live there. Like and he borrowed his mother-in-law's car. He borrowed his mother-in-law's car. Sorry, he gets to the airport and his car is like, he's getting a ticket, like, right away. Uh, and uh, this is, I'm doing way too much. Can time. I just, bef- okay, the one thing I will say about this opening is that early 90s movies were so good at Christmas. Correct. So good. Was, I don't want to spoil it. I love everything about the way this movie looks. I'm not going to spoil my whole review of the movie. But, but like, like the feel this movie of the open the whole vibe yeah yeah the feel of the opening and the Christmas cheer in the airport and the music and like Home Alone like it it, it like something about the early nineties and the way they like captured that feel just ruled it was so good mm-hmm. yeah I'm a real Jew for Christmas yeah. like you've heard of Jews for Jesus I'm Jews Jews for Christmas yeah. Uh, that's aligned. literally why I married a non-Jewish person. <laughs> Chris, you just like held up a sign, Jews for Christmas, and then just like waited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. <laughs> that's how it worked. Uh, okay, so um, he goes into the yeah. airport. So anyway, so he's going to pick up his airport. He has a run-in with the cops who are presented as um, dumb, not very smart. Uh, yes, dumb. It made me very upset, obviously, because as we all know, 
I salute their service and I want to restore the glory, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he is a cop, Bruce Willis, so... Uh, Correct. It was a bit of a mixed bag for me. (laughs) You were were so confused. I was like, are you saying that that they're not all good cops? Well, where Uh, do you... You know, I think as a cop lover, you should probably be on John McClane's side because airport cops aren't real cops. Not like the real heroes. The boys in blue. (laughs) I have no comment. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fine. So it's Christmas. He's going to pick up his wife at the airport. He is in the airport and he's like the best cop in the entire world. He starts to see like, he sees stuff going on that is like kind of spooky to him. The other thing that's happening, okay. there's two other, okay. One is there's like all this news report about this drug czar from wherever that's being flown over. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's being extradited essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's going to arrive at this airport in Washington, D.C. at whatever time. And then the other track is there's this church. Before there's uh, a church, there's an, a naked guy. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. There's a naked guy who points a remote directly at the camera, which was great. Uh, and he's, like, doing his, like, stretches. Mm-hmm. And then and that's where we're seeing the news report. Uh-huh. Uh, and he is playing with his remote like it's a gun. Yeah. That's uh, a thing. This is maybe a little bit too much detail for the plot recap. But then he shows we'll up there. at the airport also. Correct. He shows up at the airport and he is like a decorated military general or something. Disgraced. Disgraced? Well, he was just like... Decorated then disgraced? Yeah, he was just like fired or whatever, like some congressional hearing. Yeah, yeah. court martial. Yeah. yeah, fine. Anyway, uh, military terms. Mm-hmm. Jag. Um, <laughs> he was a real jag off. <laughs> I mean, he might have been jagging off before the movie started. <laughs> he was very sweaty and very naked. I mean, uh, okay, so all of these things are happening. And then John McClane... Right. Recognizes that guy, but he also sees that some weird stuff is going on. He follows those guys who he sees doing weird things because he's just got a nose for news. Uh, Before he does that, he does have a phone call with his wife. From a sky Which establishes that you can call from the plane to the airport. So this movie, Uh, a little too early for cell phones, but they had sky phones and they had mm -hmm. uh, pagers. His his, his wife paged him. We will have a technology corner when we get into this. I did write that down. Uh, Okay. So uh, he goes into the like baggage area where these two guys are like messing with stuff and he starts to question them. And then there's a shootout and he kills one of the guys and the other one gets away. And then that's where we meet Dennis Farina. Uh, Dennis Dennis Franz. Yes. Dennis Franz. Dennis Farina. Yeah. He's the guy with another one of those. He's a mustache. Yeah. He's another one of those cop face. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Another, another idol of yours. (laughs) <laughs> That's why I get them confused. <laughs> I have pictures of both of them in my wallet. I'm Facebook friends with both of them. Uh, I'm with a Facebook fan, whatever. Uh, okay, so they're like, stay out of this, McLean. You're nothing. And he's like, you don't think it's a coincidence that these guys were doing this thing when this guy's coming? And whatever. They all fight. They all say, you're crazy. And then in the church, uh the general, the disgraced general and his like SWAT team guys are setting up an air traffic control. Did you notice who was on his SWAT team? Yes. In the first half of the movie. The T-1000. Yes, but also John Leguizamo, who in the first half of the movie, Wait. you said to me, is John Leguizamo in this movie also? Is it John Leguizamo? Yes, not the T-1000 guy, but John Leguizamo was also in the crew. Not I swear to God, part. I saw a guy that I was like, that looks like John Leguizamo. Yeah. And then it cut back to him and I was like, oh, that's a different person. Yep. He is John Leguizamo. And it was very funny because when I was editing the first half, you're like, is John Leguizamo, you know, part of the crew? And I'm like, no, but he was. He doesn't have a talking that's part. That's crazy. Yeah. 
It's great. He does. He doesn't even he doesn't speak. speak. Or maybe he's That's like crazy. general or in position, but he's not one of like the talking uh, henchmen. Okay, so they set up their own air traffic control and they route all communications to the airplanes. I'm going to try to do this faster because they're going really yeah, slow. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so basically what's happening is the airport is like stay out of this McLean, and then the terrorists take over control of the tower mm-hmm. and the ability to communicate with the planes. Uh, and so they delay all planes being able to land. Oh, and they, t- they shut down all power as well. Yeah. So there's like no power to any of the runways. Uh, and then... They threaten Dulles. That's like, if you try to interfere, we will like crash a plane. Or like, we will you will suffer the consequences. And then uh, they try to interfere, and then they crash a plane. Right. And they, right. Okay. That's so, when he, so, John McLean does the fire. Yes. So they go, they first go to like try to use an auxiliary antenna or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's a shootout at a choke point where John McLean kills some more of the bad guys, but the bad guys kill a lot of the good guys, like the airport SWAT team. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the antenna gets blown up and they're like, you tried to work around us. Now we're going to have our revenge on you or whatever. And their revenge is they set the ground level to 200 feet below ground level and they tell one plane that it can land and then it goes to inside the plane and they like talk to this old lady and they're like you're gonna be able to land and you're gonna be on solid ground again and everything's gonna be nice for you and she's like oh dearie that's so sweet of you (laughs) oh mrs downfire is in the movie (laughs) and then the, John McClane runs out with the two flaming sticks and he tries to stop the plane from crashing and he is unable to stop the plane from crashing and he is devastated. And say this for my review, I did stop watching the movie before that sequence and then started watching at that sequence and it kind of breaks the movie to open the movie on like 250 people dying yeah. because it's so sad. It is really sad. Uh, and it's, it's, and then like the next thing that happens is he runs out to where they're collecting all the bodies and he finds like a teddy bear and you're like, come on movie. Like you're really, yeah. Sort of and it's supposed to like, on the one hand, like it's good that the movie cares about the people and makes you care about the people. But on the other hand, like it's intense, literally starting the watch with that sequence. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if the movie can be fun anymore. Well, it was supposed to be as if 250 people dying is not sad in of itself. It's supposed to like create an additional layer of urgency for John McLean because his wife is up there, right? It's like, that's the idea. And his wife, yes, right. His wife is circling the airport. There are a number of times that they talk about the number of minutes that things are going to happen. And for a while, I was concerned. But they do say 15 minutes. They do. And I don't remember exactly when because it was in the first half and I literally just wrote, they do say 15 (laughs) minutes. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that when they call the tower and they say, they make their demands, their demands are, you're going to let this plane land. land in this runway. They they say, the plane is going to land in 58 minutes. Yeah. When it lands, you're going to do this. But I just wrote, they do say, so I don't say with an exact context anyway, they do say 58 minutes. The author of the book was able to throw his hands up in the air and be like, I did it, my title. Um, but anyway, that's the whole plan. Um, and then after this plane has crashed... Everyone is all sad. The army sends in a, sw- a second team, mm-hmm. and that second team is led by a guy who served with this general mm-hmm. who's doing the – he actually taught him everything he knows. And then John McClane is like, well, maybe he's learned some new tricks. And then it turns out that he hasn't learned any new tricks. They're in cahoots. 
they have the tape thing, like you said. Okay, but before that, John McLean is the one who discovers the church. Well, he makes friends because... with a man who works in the uh, walls of the, the airport, right? Correct. He is like if Peter Wormtail was played by Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not a bad call, it's right? It's not a bad call. Uh, yeah, so that, and that, that guy keeps trying to sell him information, and John McLean keeps going like, how about I don't kill you? And he's like, okay, that's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, he so, comes, then, then so he keeps getting like, the schematics from him of the whole airport, and then figures right, he gets out... The from that guy, and he also becomes friends with the like engineer. Yes, who's like, they must be broadcasting from somewhere nearby, so they get the maps and the schematics, and they go door to door near the airport until they discover mm -hmm. the church. And so the, he discovers the church and he's like, I'm going to go in, and then Stabs a guy the army with a goes also. In the eyeball. Correct. And there's a shootout, and that's when they're shooting blanks. Yeah. Uh, as you realized, it's also really obvious when you watch the movie, because there's a lot of shooting and no destruction. When they were shooting blanks, that's when the movie was called Die Flaccid. Hey-o. Uh, and, and then there's a snowmobile chase and he tries to over shoot a frozen them, lake. And he's like, I had him dead in my sights. That's right. He says, I had him dead in my sights. Yeah. Uh, and that's when he realizes it's blanks. And he goes into the police yeah, station. The best part. And he's like, they're not on our side. And then he's like, what are you? You're talking crazy, McLean. And then he just starts shooting the guns. It's insane. It's, it's so good in the movie and so insane to think in real life that even to prove a point, you just unload a machine gun at somebody and be like, see? And they wouldn't still put you in jail for it. Correct. Uh, and then they all realize that he's correct. And then he, like, gets on the newscasts, the news reporters. Oh, right. And then there is a character who is on the plane with John McClane's wife. Who is, like, first a news reporter from the first movie. Which I did not remember. Same. I mean, uh, I've and, I mean, I, I could up. tell he was yes. from the first movie because of the way they play it in the movie, but I didn't remember his character. And he finds out about the terrorists, and so he oh, starts to do crucially because they found a closed channel that the terrorists couldn't access and told them what was actually happening. And then right. the reporter cameraman was able to tap into that channel, got the message. The reporter was like, "This is the scoop of a lifetime," and then went into the bathroom with another sky plane and uh, started reporting live on the news. Correct. And very funny, I, he's like, put up a good picture of me as a still image, and they put up like a, te a terrible one of him. <laughs> I, I do need to inform partial recall heads that unfortunately the cameraman did not wind a no. cable around his arm. <laughs> no. But he... That will happen in a movie that we watch. <laughs> it's true. But he did have like cool, like, uh, you know, tech. tech. Yeah. Yeah. He was obviously my favorite character as a kid. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get to that. Um, and so... Um, Whatever. He, he's anyway, putting, so he's reporting, he and then they, like, tase him like yes. he's the villain. Well, he is. I also don't understand. He causes mass panic in the airport when they needed... Calm. He reports the news. So you like cops and the, journalists. I see. Yes, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm a man of many contradictions. Uh, so, so he's reporting the news, and then John McClane's wife tases him, and everyone's like, good, you stopped that asshole from telling people what was going on in the airport. Well, because they were trying, like, the airport itself was not in danger. He, he didn't say that the airport was in danger. He just said what? But he said there are terrorists at the airport and then caused stampeding. There were terrorists at the airport. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want people to, okay. Uh, okay, so anyway, so then uh, why was that important? I don't remember. So anyway, there's a whole bunch of new stuff going on. And then John McClane gets on a helicopter to go to the um, 
the okay so oh sorry the general kills the pilots of his plane yeah. uh and then has to land the plane himself in a faster than the 15 in a minutes different location had. right yeah so they lands in a different location um and all the terrorists go to meet him in the hangar oh no then john mcclain goes to get him oh yeah uh, and he's actually the first one there and he has like a firefight with him, and then everyone else shows up, and they throw all of their grenades ah, into the cockpit. That's part. And he ejects does himself. The ejector seat directly straight up into the yeah. camera with the explosion below him, which was incredible. Awesome shot. Uh, and also, um, really reminded me of that shot in Mad Max Fury Road, where oh yeah, where uh, he's there's all the explosions behind him, and he's his in face the, is really close. He's, he has that, and he's he's in, he's on the what are those things called? That's the the, uh, the swinging yeah, poles. Mm-hmm. The He's on that, and he like goes right in front in the foreground, yeah. and there's the huge explosions behind him. Like that's really what it looked like to me. Uh, it was a really incredible shot. Um, uh, okay, so then they take him to the church. That's when John McClane ends up tracking them down to there. Snowmobile part. It was in the middle of the yeah. movie. Blah 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 blah. He Fine. won't die. So then he goes to the hangar to uh, stop them from being able to take off. They don't get there in time, so he has to jump from the helicopter. Onto the wing of the plane. Mm-hmm. Where he gets in a fight uh, with the first guy, like the, the guy who taught him everything he knows guy, and correct. kills him by knocking him into the fan into the jet. jet. Yeah. And then yes. the naked guy. Then the other guy out. thinks he wins the fight by kicking McLean off the plane. But as he's falling off the plane, he opens the fuel tank and the fuel's pouring out, and he uses his lighter to send like a trail of flame and blow up and the plane. And says the iconic line mm-hmm. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. And then the Correct. plane blows up, killing everyone inside. Incredible. And then... Who are all, like, smoking yeah. cigars and, like, they look like the Raiders locker room. And, They're all yes. celebrating that Josh McDaniels got thrown <laughs> into the jet engine. <laughs> and then and the plane explodes. And then the, every other plane can use the flame trail yeah. as their sight lines to land. Yeah. Uh, and then John McClane is reunited with his wife. And the news reporter, the good news reporter, is like, don't film this. Yeah. Uh, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think? Incredible. I said a nine. Yeah. It's a nine. Meaning if Jurassic Bar- Park is the is a ten and then Speed is a nine, this is also a nine. It was... So I didn't give it a nine. Oh, what? I'm probably at an eight. Ah. Uh, I really loved it. Here's one thing I just need to disclose. I've never seen this movie before. <laughs> So, like, I said that the cameraman was probably my favorite character as a kid. I, I mean, You'd if I had seen the movie, he probably would have been. <laughs> I don't think so. It's so good. It was really good. It was a really, really, really good time. It held up uh, so I think it's well. an eight. Okay. So you think it's not as good as uh, Speed? Because I thought it was, like, on, on the, on the bar of, like, action movies, I thought it was up there with Speed. Uh, I think it's a little bit below Speed. Okay. That's fair. But so still, still, still very good. So good. So good. Uh, really, really enjoyed So it. fun. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Total thrill ride. It was funny. Okay, first of all, again, it opened with, like, great Christmas stuff. It gave great Christmas face. And then uh, all the action I thought was very good. I thought all of the humor was very good. I thought the stakes were high. The plot was a bit nonsensical, mm-hmm. but I don't care. And neither did Roger Ebert, as I will talk about down the line. Yes, I read Roger Ebert's review. Um, uh as well, he he specifically said like the movie is so good, yeah. it doesn't matter that it doesn't make any. Well, sense. yeah. So what's interesting about this is that critically, it was 
lukewarm. It like seventy percent of Rotten Tomatoes, and I think the consensus was like, it is just a same thing as Die Hard One. They didn't mix it up enough, and it's just not as good. But both Siskel liked it more than Die and Hard One. Ebert liked it better than Die Hard One, which interesting. So uh, Siskel says. Die Hard 2 is a thoroughly entertaining, action-packed, humor-filled adventure on a level that I haven't seen since the best of the James Bond movies. If you want to see commercial American movie making at its best, this is it. And he put it as number six, his number six movie of the entire year. And then Ebert wow. said, this is the line, because Die Hard 2 is so skillfully constructed and well-directed, it develops a momentum that carries it past several credibility gaps that may have capsized the lesser film. But on the other hand, I don't care. Die Hard 2 is as unlikely as the Bond pictures, and it's much fun. It's interesting they both compared it to uh, the Bond movies. During a summer when violence and mayhem are allowed to substitute for imagination and good writing, this is an especially well-crafted picture. And then the last thing he says is, given the enormous success of the original Die Hard, a movie I didn't enjoy nearly as much as this one, producer Lawrence Gordon and his partners must have crossed their fingers before risking the sequel to a relatively untried director, but they did the right thing. This is terrific entertainment. So they both loved it, which I agree. So, like, I, again, I... I don't know that I've ever seen Die Hard 1. Or if I have, I don't remember it nearly as much as this one. And so yeah. a lot of people think that's like the um, the standard bearer for Die Hard movies. But I think this is. And I'm very glad that both Siskel and Ebert are in my corner on that. So I agree with you. I really like this movie. I'm excited to watch Die Hard 1 as part of this podcast at some point, And possibly also Die Hard 3, a movie I definitely have seen. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember Samuel L. Jackson being in it. So what do you say? What, would, uh, what like, what would I take away points yeah. for? I mean, I do, I do. There were a few times where I was sort of like, but why aren't they just like directing them to other airports or communicating to them from other towers? Like, yeah, like is it true that if you set the ground level to two hundred feet below the ground, the plane has no other way to know how tall it is? Like, is that actually entirely controlled from the tower? Like, it doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Uh, John McClane shot two people in an airport, and the airport was like, whatever, just get him out of here. <laughs> like, both the dead person and John McClane. Like, there were moments like that. And then, and then I think because I split the movie, I had a really hard time recovering from the, the plane, plane crash. crash. Like, and getting back into the, like, well, this is kind of a fun, light movie, which... I think if I hadn't split up the movie that way, wouldn't have had as big of a right. So it's funny you say it's a fun light movie. It's funny that I say like this was like a child friendly movie because I found this review in the Guardian that says, "Die Hard Two recap: insane bloodlust, gratuitous profanity, zero logic," and it talks about how horribly violent and how terrible the profanity is, which is true. Now, I can't disagree with that, but it's funny because like. Maybe that is, like, a uh, American thing. But, like, again, like, this is a movie I saw as a kid and loved as a kid and was not phased by, like, all the insanely creative ways that people were, like, killed. And, like, it wasn't just, like, killed and then, like, off screen. They were just, like, spurting blood everywhere. Um, so that's an interesting yeah, he, One guy gets an thing. icicle in the eye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, it's cool. That, it's clever. It was great. But it, to your point, like, the action is continuously clever yeah. like they're always yeah. upping when he needed the, the gun and he turned on the uh automatic sidewalk and mm -hmm. got it which was in the trailer yeah 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 uh and and like the, i think the sets are great one of the things that i thought while watching this movie is like they just don't like movies don't look like this anymore because i feel like every action sequence just looks fake yeah and like every action sequence in this movie looks incredible and is like thoughtfully considered 
And like, can we please just bring back random smoke insects? Yeah. Do you notice like everywhere he walks, there's just yes. like smoke shooting out of vents. Very, like, um, I have never seen man. smoke shoot out of a vent in my entire life. Well, in New York City you have. In real life. And that's true. In New York City, they have those giant orange yeah. roads that are like cigarettes for the street. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was just like, why are none of us concerned about these giant smoke plumes that we just walk through every day? Which is true. Uh, but it's so it's so atmospheric. It's literally called atmosphere when they're on set. They're like, oh, let's pipe in some Atmos. Like, they're just, like, it's so atmospheric. We just need more smoke in movies. Yeah. More smoke. That's my... I agree. No, it looks uh, great. They don't make movies that look like this anymore. And again, I really think it's true. Like, the Christmas thing, I think, is true. They don't care enough in <sighs> There's like a like, weird... The, the church set is such a cool set. Yeah. It's so, like sparsely used in the movie but they clearly spent time like we want something that's going to look really cool it's going to look really cinematic we show up at sunset so it's all orange like it looked beautiful and i feel like now they would just be like well it doesn't matter what it looks like i totally agree and i think that's interesting about our podcast right where it's like we're trying to uh make some kind of separation between like nostalgia and actual like quality filmmaking but i do think that the reason we're nostalgic for like movies from our childhood is because they were better, more thoughtfully constructed movies. Like they just, they just were. They tried. They tried, they tried yeah. harder is what it feels like. The other thing is like every small performance in this movie is great mm-hmm. with a couple exceptions, but like the air traffic controller in particular is an incredible character. The guy who's like in the tower, the, who's the, the, head the guy, guy who runs the airport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's like the one. Every line he has in this movie is crazy. Uh, like it's so good. Uh, and everyone in this movie looks like a real person. Yeah, that's the other thing that I just feel like doesn't happen so much in movies anymore. Right. Where like everybody's super hot. Like everybody who talks in a movie is super. Hot. Yeah. No, that's true. Uh, and like in this movie, it's Dennis like Franz. pretty normal looking. <laughs> in this movie people. is Dennis Franz. There's a lot of face on screen. Yeah. You know, just like a lot of faces. Uh, they're all very memorable. They don't all look the same. John Leguizamo is a background character yeah. uh, with no lines. No lines. <laughs> I wasn't even sure that was true. Yeah, it was him. Uh, I looked it up. Um, no, it is true. It, like, there's just something about this movie that I think is really great. And, like, yeah. I, again, like, we talk, I forget what episode we talked about this. Like, what is the modern equivalent of this? Like, the gray man? Like, that's that's what we have now. Like, it's not the same. It's not the same. No, it's not. It's not. There's just nothing quite like this. Uh, but we still get good movies. It's not to say that we don't get good movies. No, anymore. for sure. Killers of the Flower Moon a couple weeks ago. That movie's great. I'm talking about like blockbuster action movies. Yeah. They just don't have this level of craft. Like, it doesn't feel like they have this level of craft because they do so much green screen. They do so much in after. Like, and they're, they're great people working on that stuff. And some of it looks really good. But like. That's very Trumpy interview. Great people are working on these movies. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, no, but uh, the other thing also, uh, I think, with action movies nowadays is because of our streaming culture, everything has to be like these big global, you know, like globe-spanning epics because, like, they want it to be as broadly... Like, this is an American movie. This is an American movie. Correct. Like, this is a very American movie. So, like, yeah, whatever. It's just... Uh, it was. I don't know that that makes it better. Or I don't think worse it makes it better or worse. I feel, like, I, think it's, I feel like there are plenty of good movies that come out of that global mindset, sure. like uh, the Bourne movies, right? I'm just saying, like there, the, yeah. but so there, there is a Bond movie, right? There's those kind of movies, and then there's all there was also, I think, this kind of movie, and I think 
this kind is is has has faded away. I I do think that there's an element of and I feel like I need to think about this more before it like becomes a thing that we talk about a ton on the podcast. But I think there's an element of like in this era of filmmaking, it was the peak of practical effects mm -hmm. where you were like we are able to do the most things that we can do with practical effects that we've ever been able to do because that's like an iterative art um but there's still a limit on what you can do with practical effects right right and so there's an element of like there are these limitations on what you can film and there is this creativity and thinking about like oh how can i do this in a new way or how can i do this in a creative way and now you're in a situation where you can literally do anything right. you want there's no limitation on what you can put on screen because you can put anything on screen that you can think of, which like has this inverse effect of like, there's too much stuff for you to have to think about. So you can't necessarily focus on like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an explosion, but I'm going to film it in such a way that John McClane launches himself towards the camera. Right. Right. And the explosion is behind him. And I'll do that practically because you're thinking like, it's, so, there just feels like there's so much more to think about. Yeah. Right. And like those limitations are probably helpful. Right. It, it spawns creativity. Really compelling right. visuals. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you have to that's, think about, right. That, that's true, right? Like you have to think like what would be cool and how could I pull it off as opposed to just like, well, we could do anything. Um, God, also bring back smoking in airports. People just look cool when they smoke. I'm sorry. I know I say it every time I see someone smoking in a movie. Uh, okay. So technology mm -hmm. corner. Um, I have a note here. I have a couple of notes on this. I say um, an air phone. That's like a cell phone, but she's not the bad guy. What's that about? <laughs> And then the old lady next to her says, isn't technology wonderful? And then takes out a taser. Uh, so this movie maybe posits that technology is good. Well, his wife also says a line. She says, um, Welcome to the 90s. Honey, it's the 90s, remember? Microchips, microwaves, faxes, airphones. That's like when he when she calls him from the plane. That's what she says. Mm -hmm. So there's like a pro-technology angle. Also, he carries a beeper, which I think even at that time was kind of like, do you need a beeper? And the beeper almost gets him killed. Oh, yeah. When it goes at off the, as he's going church. towards yeah, the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, ah, this movie is saying old technology is bad. Well, it was not. It... Get new technology like the airphone. <laughs> right. Yeah, just you know, maybe maybe it's instead a of carrying around a pager, you should get on a plane to use the phone. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, every tiny performance is great. Uh, every single person seems like wants to have sex with John McClane. Uh, like the the budget rental car lady, I liked that that she was like, "When do you get off?" Or like she's like, "I get off in like thirty minutes." Oh yeah, and he's like, uh, just, and just he's like, uh, "I'm literally trying to stop a terrorism situation." Think, no, no, he showed her his <laughs> ring. He's like, just just the fast oh, right. machine. Um, I wonder if she comes back in Die Hard 3. Yeah, hopefully. Pick up a sad, sad... <laughs> yeah, he's like a sad divorced man in Die Hard 3. Um, uh, I like that he's famous. Yeah, because well, he's like... Right, and then Dennis Rodman's like, we don't need your Hollywood attitude here, McLean. I know what you did at Nakatomi Towers. He's very, like, uh, mm -hmm. incredulous towards him. Here was the thing. They, when the snowmobiles leave, they like multiple times, it felt like zoomed in on like the ice breaking. Yeah. You thought someone was going to fall through. Yeah. Well, why did they highlight that they were snowmobiling on ice and then not have anyone fall through? I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that one, that was like one where I was like, oh, that's a little. I mean, shaky. the honestly, the shaky, uh, shakiest part of this. And if anyone listens to this episode, they probably would have picked up on this by now. 
the plot of like the disgraced general and his disgraced team and what they were tr- like I, what were they trying to do money they were trying money, to get money right? yeah and they they did not need to kidnap that general to right. get money they could have just been like we are holding the airport yes. hostage give us Correct. money uh uh, we look. We crashed a plane. Give us money, but they. Yeah, the whole plot didn't make any sense. That's why I'm playing I it think at eight. What? Where speed is a I nine. think the. Is that actually where we landed yeah. on speed? I think the subtext of this, of that plot, which is real subtext, I think they realized it was not important at all. Is that the that was like the kind of uh, commando team that would be like sent to like kill people like that general, and so they would like go into other countries and like pull off these missions and then they basically got like court-martialed for it because like you know the u.s needs to have like plausible deniability so like they like use these guys to like be these like elite killing machines and then you know uh fire them or whatever and so then they were like oh let's join the enemy that we were previously killing because the u.s doesn't need us anymore but like that is not text at all that is very much subtext or it's like lightly text but i think that's that's the premise of what that was about got it yeah is it but it, it was, was great. great really enjoyed it really i enjoyed would it. Uh, i had one thought at the end of the i would just say I, I was thinking about it like this moves into i think my, my top five of like of what we've watched interesting is it canon it is are you going to show this movie to so you? violent and uh so sexual I'm not showing this to my kids. No, it's insane. It's so over the top violent. It's such so much profanity. Oh, the last piece of research I'll say on this is um famously, famously, Yippie Kaye Mr. Falcon is like this movie. You don't know that? Like when this movie no. was uh showed on like TBS, remember I used to like I used to like watch it on TV all the time. The, you know, like voiceover, they would like, <laughs> yeah, so like so. <laughs> you it would be he'd be like you and then like another one would be like Mister Falcon, like that's <laughs> that's the uh, that it's like one of the more famous um, TV, TV edits. Um, that's really yeah. Funny. There's other ones. Um, Let me pull up the list of those while you while you talk. Do you think it's canon? I so hmm. I think it's a it's it's a similar one. I mean, if if my daughter is like super into action movies, like if she at some point gets into yeah. that, um, I would consider. Yeah, I think I would show her this. Well, we, you have to watch. Uh, I don't know that I would see which one you think is is better for it. Yeah, I, that'll be an interesting like follow up. It's almost like an incomplete grade on the canon uh, here. You don't need to have seen Die Hard no, to appreciate this movie. And maybe that is why... I, um, oh, that's another thing I, I made a note of and want to talk about. Maybe the reason I like this so much and, like, don't don't ascribe to the idea that, like, it's just a rehash of Die Hard 1 is because I don't remember Die Hard 1. Yeah. I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, it, it It's a tough one. I mean, it's so violent. The, the 250 people dying in the plane is so heavy. Uh, and the movie, to its credit, does play how heavy it is. Like, it doesn't just immediately shrug it off, but it does eventually shrug it off. And I feel like there's, I don't know how that would play. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if she's into this type of movie, I would introduce yeah. it to her. I, yeah. I'm not um, opposed to my kids watching it. I guess if she loved Speed and it was just like, I want more of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, then I'd be like, cool, let's go from Speed to Crap. <laughs> 
uh, I had this thought at the end of the movie, which was that if John McClane was Jewish, this movie would have been called, instead of Die Hard 2, Die Harder, it would have been called Die Hard 2, Die Anu. Ah. And it would have, you know. He, he, yeah, he would have been saying oy vey a lot. Enough with the yeah. terrorists already. Here's the, uh, here. <laughs> it's almost like a German accent. I'm trying. I wish. Whatever. On the next episode, uh, so we don't waste time here. Uh, I will find the list of other notable, but that is one of the most famous ones um, for you know edited for TV. So anyway, that's Die Hard too. I nice. loved it. Um, anything we? Anything else we got wrong? Oh, well, we said that? yes. Uh, uh, John McClane. We talked about Reginald Val Johnson a lot. Uh, he is a. Um, Die Hard One character, and he is not the airport cop. Has a, has big a bit part in this. this. He's not the yeah. airport cop. Yeah. So that was the uh, that was the only thing we got wrong as far as that goes. That but yeah, right. I mean, like the 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 magazines. No, no, no. You you said that the fire yep, sticks a, yep. were to prevent to plane from taking off. And not only do they not prevent a plane from taking off, they, yeah, don't, they don't work. work. I yeah, I wrote that down. Uh, anything else? I saw John Leguizamo was on the team, as was the guy from T two. Um, I was right about John McClane with the fire sticks, but wrong about what he's doing, and then I conflated that with the ending. Mm-hmm. You were right about the the blanks. Yep. yep. Uh, you were wrong about the color of the tape, but we actually spotted yeah. that in the first. Time. I did think it was remarkable that tasers were allowed on planes. It's <laughs> <Just> ridiculous. <laughs> it was the nineties. Anything yeah. goes. Um, yeah. Uh, no, that's it. That's it. Great movie. Thrilled we watched it. Had a blast. Uh, Okay, do you have a Jewish Transformer? I don't, but I have a, a lot of film Twitter. <clears throat> okay, so here's my Jewish Transformer. It's not as good as my last one. So you've heard of the Transformer Wind Charger? Okay. Well, what about the Transformer Money Changer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, okay. That's it. He transforms your money from one currency <laughs> to another. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, hit me with a film Twitter okay. corner. I have a lot, which I'm happy about because I didn't have a lot for a long time. Uh, oh, just to, to close off on the Jewish Transformer, obviously Money Changers is a Decepticon. And continue. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, a couple of things from previous movies we've uh, covered on this podcast. Uh, Matthew Vaughn was uh, hired to write the uh, script for X-Men The Last Stand. And uh, he quit because there was a... Uh, okay, so they wanted to bring Halle Berry back, but she's like, my character is not really important in the movies. and like, I don't know if I want to do it. So they wrote a fake script involving uh, Storm saving a bunch of like kids in Africa to get her to sign back on. And they said, this is fake. And as soon as she signs, we're going to cut this from the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> How awful is that? They're like, we just want to make her happy. Uh and so he quit because, like, he knew this was the plan because he's like, what is this script? Uh, and they're like, oh, that's just going to Halle Berry to sign back on. We're going to, like, appeal to her sensibilities and then cut that all out of the movie once she signs a contract. Yikes. Yikes right? Um, yeah. It's not a tweet, per se, but I, I discovered that on Twitter. Uh, and then the other thing, which is a tweet about another movie. Uh, I give that a thumbs yeah. down. That Very bad behavior. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is from Noah Garfinkel. Uh, comedian that we uh, both think is funny and he says let me get this straight you got your asses kicked by four fully mature mutant ninja turtles 
No, sir. It's actually worse than that. <laughs> that's a good one. That's pretty yeah, good. So that's, you got a that's thumbs an up. One. Oh, here's another one from a movie we covered. Um, if I was an Italian plumber whose girlfriend was constantly being imprisoned in castles by an evil fire-breathing lizard, I would simply not take part in recreational go-kart races with the aforementioned lizard. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, good. pretty good. Pretty good. I approve. Um, uh, what really made me laugh. Uh, it was from October 17th, and it said, uh, Tony Stark officially dies today in the MCU because his date of death in like canonically is October 17th, 2023, and someone just goes, vexed? <laughs> 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 that really made me laugh. Um, and then the last one, because this reminded me of... Um, how I uh, watched Dunkirk, which was on a plane with broken headphones. Uh, someone said, watched Killers of the Flower Moon just as Scorsese intended in a theater where someone brought a baby and Eras Tour was blasting through the walls. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty really good. Funny. Uh, that's it. I have one more, a bonus one. Uh, Gladiator 2 uh, will feature Paul Mescal fighting a pack of baboons after director, after director Ridley Scott became haunted by a video showing a real baboon attack in South Africa. So we have that to look forward to in Gladiator 2. Or or maybe they just wrote that into the script to get Ridley Scott to sign oh, yeah. on. They're like, we know you're obsessed. Good one. Full circle. I like it. Uh, yikes. Uh, okay, so it's my turn to pick, yeah? Yeah. Um, first off, I have to say about this film Twitter Corner, these were like good tweets. Of like yeah. normal funny yeah. jokes. Yeah, they Not were. Not a lot of like, here's why DC is better than Star Wars stuff. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I'll have uh, more so of like those the positivity. In the yeah. I like the positivity. Mixing it up. Well, uh, except for the Also, I like to dunk on people. So, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I want to stick around Rennie Harlan, mm-hmm. uh, who I really like this movie. Uh, and I feel like uh, he knows what he's doing. And so I'm going to nominate Cliffhanger. Yes. With Sylvester Stallone. Yes. Um, so here's the, it's an interesting one because. Have you seen, have you seen Cliffhanger? I'm not sure if I've seen Cliffhanger, but <laughs> I am sure. Here's, here's what I am sure about. And we'll talk about this. I am sure that I saw the trailer for Cliffhanger like a hundred times on pay-per-view. Okay. And I thought at the time. You were just like, where is my porn? Why do they keep showing this trailer? This was like the perfect movie for me. Because it was like an action movie with Sylvester Stallone about rock climbing. And at the time, I was super into rock climbing. Uh, Like as an activity that I did a little bit. And also like just thought was the coolest thing in the world. I'll I'll interrogate that more. I will be surprised. But I'm like, it's possible that I didn't see it. I will own that story. This is becoming uh, a disturbing trend of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely, when you're a kid, yeah, like, you no. see a trailer so many times and your friends talk about the movie, you're like, yeah, I saw that movie. And then you watch the movie and you're like, I've never seen that movie before. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely have not seen Die Hard 2 before. <laughs> I have definitely seen Cliffhanger, and we will talk about what I do or don't remember about it uh, in the next episode. But I'm looking forward yes. to it. Cool. Talk Pew. to you soon. Nisha's away. Should I do a podcast rap?
what would it be about? Is it embarrassing that anytime I think about doing a fake rap, I start with the fake rapping raptor from Mrs. Doubtfire? That's not great. Oy vey. I'm a rapping podcaster, and I'm here to say... I actually don't know what I would say.